Good evening, everyone. Good evening, good evening, and welcome back. Uh, welcome back to another Porsche Cool Podcast. Uh, my name is Michael Bath. Those of you know me already, those of you don't, this is the, the podcast where we talk about all things Porsche. Uh, this is Tuesday's episode, and Tuesday's episode, it's been every Tuesday for the last couple of weeks, actually, but I always said it wasn't going to be every Tuesday, but I've just managed to hook up with a lot of other Porsche owners, and this is Porsche Cooled Owner Stories episode, uh, the episode where you can come onto the podcast and you can talk about your Porsche. And what makes this series great, this, this episode great, is that we all have a different story, we've all got a common bond, we've all got the love of Porsche, uh, but we all have a different let's just say story to tell. And that's that's what the fun of this uh, this episode is. Uh, today, I've got another uh, interesting story, an interesting Porsche owner, a first, uh, a first Porsche owner, the first 911 that he's purchased. Uh, we've got Connor coming in from uh, Utah. Um, Connor comes in from Utah. I'm not sure exactly where in Utah. I'm going to check with him, but I just realized he came from Utah because I just saw the number plate on an image he sent me. And I should have asked him where he came from before. I just, I just didn't realize. Um, but this is a Porsche Cool Podcast owner stories. I'd like to say thank you for all the support to date uh, for this series. Thank you for all the people that send me DMs. As you know, I will resp- I nearly respond to everybody. If I've missed you, I apologize, but I do actually get around to it eventually. Uh, there's been a lot lately, so I do apologize if I haven't got back to you. If you want to be on this podcast and you want to talk about your, your Porsche ownership journey and your, your, your first Porsche, it doesn't have to be a 911. It can be a Cayman. It can be a Boxster. Up to you. Um, but, you know, so far, everyone's been talking about a 911. To be on the owner's stories, all you need to do is um, just reach out to me on um, Instagram. You can reach out to me on Porsche Cooled, uh, spelt one word. P997.1 is my other Instagram. There's also Michael.bath as well, but Porsche Cooled is probably the best one because it's about the podcast. And if you want to be on it, just, just send me your details, say hello, and tell me what car you have, and we can um, start talking. Um, thank you for all the support of the podcast up to date. Thank you for all the Patreon members. Thank you for all the people who have joined Porsche Cooled uh, Exclusive. I'll do a shout out in Friday's episode for all the new members. Um, if you'd like to support the podcast, you just go to patreon.com, uh, just, search, uh, just search Porsche Cooled. And by joining uh, Porsche Cooled Exclusive uh, for $5 US dollars a month, um, it does a currency conversion for you too if you want to pay in a different currency. Uh, you'll be supporting me and Steve, you'll be supporting this podcast, and you'll be getting us on the way to getting some new equipment, some new recording equipment. I want to get some new microphones. Uh, so that's just going to keep us uh, keep making these episodes for you guys. But anyway, uh, I think I've talked enough in the beginning. Let's get Connor on Zoom. Uh, let's hope Zoom is playing nicely tonight, and uh, let's talk about uh, Connor's Porsche story. Okay, good evening, everyone, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cooled podcast, Porsche Cooled Owner Stories. Uh, today, we have another really, really great Porsche story. Um, today, I'm joined by Connor. Hi, Connor. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Very well, very well. Uh, Connor's joining us uh, via Zoom, as always, and Connor is in Salt Lake City, which I just had to check with him because I, I didn't know. Uh, Salt Lake City in Utah. Um, and... Connor's going to tell us today about his Porsche story, uh, and like I said, it, it's it's a good one. I, I kind of know a bit of it already, and it's it's a good one. So, Connor, just to get into it, let's just get straight into it. Uh, and everyone has everyone has a first memory of a nine eleven. Uh, I think I've spoken about it before. You know, I used to see them driving past when I used to live in the country in Australia on, on weekends. I used to see, you know, exotic cars and sometimes Porsches and and getting excited about, you know, the shape of a car, which wasn't just your standard average, you know, family car. Um, so your story, um, was it 
was it cars that you saw driving around where you lived? Was it a relative? Uh, was it something in a magazine? How did, how did you start recognizing or noticing Porsches? Yeah. Well, well, Michael, first off, let me just say that I'm a huge fan um, of your YouTube channel and the podcast. So it's, it's kind of a dream for me to, to be on with you and, uh, and talk about my Porsche story. So, um, you know, it, my, my story is really nuanced and it, it really began for me when I was about 10 years old. Um, so I had an uncle uh, who was really into cars and kind of each time that I saw him, uh, he doesn't live too far from me. But he was driving something, you know, back in the early 90s that was always pretty exotic. Um, you know, a, a lot of Maseratis, um, you know, would show up. Um, but, you know, around 93 or 94, I was about 10 years old. And um, he, he bought a 964 Cabriolet. Uh, okay. It was a Carrera 2, six-speed, beautiful, dark blue with, with tan interior. And uh, I just remember being in awe the first time that I saw it. Um, does he still own that Cabriolet? He, he doesn't, unfortunately. Um, he, he eventually graduated to a 996 and then, and then moved on from Porsche. But still, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk shop every once in a while when we, yeah. when we get together. Um, yeah, but, but for me, it was, it was really kind of, I think, you know, the, the aesthetics of, of the 911. Um, certainly that was, you know, an air cooled, but, but I remember the smell. I remember, you know, driving in the canyons up in Deer Valley and Park City and, and kind of, you know, doing some, uh, some canyon runs. Um, and, and it was a cabriolet. So I think that that kind of was another dimension for me, you know, being so young that, that really kind of struck an impression of, of, you know, having the top down and cruising and feeling, uh, like, you know, you were kind of the king of the world in that car because it was so special. So you live in a cold climate though, don't you? You live in a, an area where it's quite cold, right? Or is it quite hot there? Yeah. So it's, it's a high desert. Um, so we'll certainly have snow in the winter, but, um, you know, in the summer, it'll, it'll be in the nineties consistently and, and be over hundred degrees Fahrenheit. So, uh, we have all four seasons. Um, but in, in the Valley where I live, you know, during the winter, we'll, we'll get some snow, but other winters we'll get very light snow. Okay. So you were, you were 10 years old, your uncle bought this, uh, dark blue Cabriolet and then you thought, okay, years to come, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a 911. So did the thought come into your mind again? Did, did you come across the thought again and think, you know, cause I know you've only just bought your car and we'll get into what you bought in a second. But so when was it again that it, it, it got into your mind and you thought, okay, I've definitely got to get a 911. Yeah. Um, I would say it was, it was kind of at that point, but, but interestingly, uh, a few, a few years later when I was uh, a senior in high school, so I was about 17, right. um, I started running around, uh, with this group of friends and, and we were really close. Um, and there happened to be this really cute girl in that, um, <laughs> in that group of friends. And it actually turned out that her dad, um, in, in 1993, had bought a brand new 964 Targa and that was kind of always his dream car. So a lot of times as a, as a group of friends, we'd be hanging out at her house and, and conveniently I would sneak out to the garage and flip on the garage light and kind of stare at this beautiful 964 Targa. Um, and, and interestingly enough, when we get into what I purchased, um, my, what, what he became my father-in-law and that's part of the fun of the story as well. But he bought that 964 Targa from the same sales guy at Porsche that I purchased my car from. 
Okay, let's let's get into that because I, I find it really interesting that you you know your first experience with your uncle's a cabriolet, and then the girl you like at school, her father's got a Targa, yep. and then so let's tell the listeners uh, what did you end up buying and. You know, it's one of my favorite generations of 9-11. So what did you end up buying, Connor? And how did it come about? Yeah, great. Um, so I ended up purchasing in February of this year a 2011 uh, C4S Cabriolet. Um, and uh, so it's a 997.2. Um, and just, you know, kind of everything that I wanted in, in, a, in a sports car, in a Porsche um, given kind of what I grew up, you know, with um, driving in and, and kind of dreaming of, right? I mean, that was kind of yeah. the epitome. And so, so that's what you, so you were, you had your heart set on a 997. You knew that you wanted a 997, or were you looking at other generations as well? Yeah. So when I started my research, um, it was kind of mid, mid 2019 when I got real serious. Um, the timing worked out where, you know, I, I could start, you know, diving into the research. Um, my budget allowed me to look across kind of a spectrum, a spectrum of models. So from air cooled all the way into kind of 991. Um, and so, uh, you know, air cooled because of kind of the history and heritage of growing up with, you know, the 964s was something attractive, but I, but I wanted something a little bit more modern and a little bit more powerful. Yeah. Um, I, I discounted the 996. Um, that's a great car, but, but for me, um, I, I, I didn't want to worry about the IMS issues, um, the headlights. I still couldn't wrap my head around those. Um, and then the 991, which I actually test drove, um, just felt it felt a little too modern and a bit of a departure from kind of the classic Porsche 911, if you will. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, so for me, the 997.2 represented... Um, you know, for, for me, and now that I'm an owner, you know, not to discount any other 911s, but I think that that for me in my mind at the time was kind of the, the last kind of pure 911 before Volkswagen purchased Porsche. Yep. And, um, and also it, it um, would allow, you know, it, it didn't have the engine issues. It was, it was the new um, direct fuel injection. Um, so, so it kind of felt like a sweet spot for me. Yeah, I think I, I think you know you're right. The nine nine seven point two is the pick of the nine nine seven, and being a nine nine seven point one owner, I understand the the benefits of a nine nine seven point two. And I guess it does come down to to budget, and it does come down to funds, and it comes it comes down to the market that you're in too, Connor. Because um, in Australia, if if I'm talking about Australia as I always do, the nine nine seven point two is very expensive. It's almost nine nine one prices. You know what I mean? So it's yep. it's borderline 991 prices and there's not that many of them because of when it was released and because of the economic yep. climate, et cetera, there's not a lot of them in the spec that you want. But you're right. And I think the 996, I don't think there's anything wrong with the 996 and I think a 996 is a great entry-level Porsche for, for people who don't have a lot of funds. But there's a big jump from the 996 to the 997 and people have to realize that the, the, the 997 is a, a, a very modern car but still has that classic feel about it in a way doesn't it it still has that it's like the niggles have been fixed up but it still actually has that classic feel so when you were looking for your 997 did you have a list of equipment that you wanted did you have a specific list or you're willing just to sort of take whatever came along no um you know i had put kind of a wish list together um you know when i was looking and i knew that it was going to be somewhat difficult to find because um you know the 9972s uh, weren't high in production numbers 
um, just given, I think, the recession at the time. Um, yeah. it, it, you know, and, and I, was, I was pretty picky in terms of that wish list. So kind of running down what I was looking for was um, something that had less than 20,000 miles on it. I really wanted a one owner car. Okay. Um, I wanted a cabriolet. Uh, ideally, I wanted an S, a Carrera 2S specifically. Um, and then there was this debate whether I went manual or PDK. Um, manuals were are still much, much harder. I think 80% of the 9972s that were built um, were PDK and about 20% were manual. So it's almost like a needle in a haystack to find a good example of a manual. Yeah, true. Um, and then, you know, I wanted a, I wanted a, 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 C, a car that was CPO'd through Porsche. Um, and that was kind of some of the recommendations that, that I had received from, from some people. And, um, you know, you pay a premium for that, but I think that that gave me a little bit of reassurance that it was going to be kind of a quality purchase for me. Um, explain CPO for people who are not in the U.S. Because that's a U.S. thing, right? More so. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, so there's there's kind of some rules and regulations, but essentially Sir, uh, Porsche will certify, uh, CPO stands for Certified Pre-Owned, um, but they'll go through kind of an extensive 111-point oh, okay. checklist, um, you know, update all the maintenance. Um, if it needs new brakes, they'll do that, new tires. So um, the real benefit, not only of like kind of getting it up to, you know, up to spec, if you will, on any deferred maintenance, um, is that then they also will um, provide a, a two-year warranty um, on the car after you purchase it. So kind of gives you as a, an owner kind of that, that um, reassurance that you have that warranty in place. So how many cars did you look at before you settled on this one? Yeah, so, um, you know, in, in the midst of my search, I drove a, a manual 997.1. Um, I drove a 991.1. Um, that were just here locally um, at the dealership. Yeah. So I, I really only drove, um, you know, two cars before uh, I found my 997.2. Okay. And yeah. tell us a little about, uh, tell us about the options on your car. Cause I know I've seen pictures of it and it looks fantastic. In fact, I saw a car on Instagram yesterday uh, on the painter sample Instagram, one of the painter sample ones. And it's a car that was spotted in, France, I think it was. Okay. And it's a new Turbo S Cabriolet. And it kind of reminded me of yours. When I saw it, I thought, oh, that's a bit like Connor's, even though it's in stone gray. It's got the brown mm -hmm. interior. It's got the... So tell everyone the, the color. Tell everyone the um, and some of the options that came with your car, because I'm sure people are interested to know. Yeah, the, the color's interesting, and maybe we can get into that. But, you know, just running down the list of options that came with the car. And, and when I got the call, um, it, it checked all of my boxes. So it's, it's a cream white... Um, which is a pretty unique color and one that yeah. you don't see a lot. Is that a, um, is, sorry, Connor, is that a paint to sample color? Was that a special custom color? Because I looked at it and I thought it's a Carrera, a Carrara white, but it's not. And it's kind of got like cream to it. I yeah. wasn't quite, I know it's a rare, it's a rare color. You don't see it very often. Yeah, it, it's not, it's not a paint to sample. I actually called it paint to sample on Ren's list and, and um, kind of got in trouble by some of the, <laughs> the posters, <laughs> which was did. good. I, I learned, <laughs> I learned a lot about that, but um, yeah, so cream white was more of like a, a, what they called a premium color at the time. So, um, you know, looking at the build list, it was like a $3,100 color option. So um and then, uh, so cream white, it has the cabriolet roof in, in cocoa, and then yeah. it has um, natural brown leather interior. And 
for me, I did, I wasn't immediately in love with the cream white, but with that natural brown leather interior, it just goes really, really well together. You know, I'm looking at a, a just for the listeners, I'm looking at a picture of it now that Connor sent me through Instagram. And I know this combination in certain countries may not be everyone's taste, but honestly, uh, you don't have it on your Instagram, this photo of your car, do you? Did you post it? I on don't. Your no, you don't. Okay. No. It'll be in the thumbnail of this podcast anyway, so people can see it. And I'll put, I'll put it on Instagram if you don't mind. Um, but I'm looking at the photo and I tell you what, the combination Connor works really, really well together. Like that white, that has got so much depth to it. Then the, the cocoa top and then the tan interior. Uh, is that full leather interior? It is. Yep. Okay, and keep. I'll let you keep going. So, what other options does your car have? Yeah, so um, it it actually was PDK, which was perfect because um, my wife doesn't know how to drive a manual. Her her father actually um, used that as a defense mechanism, so she <laughs> wouldn't steal his Targa when she was younger. So, um, you know, th- this is our car. Um, it, it's fun for her to be able to take it out and and uh, you know put the top down, and and she she looks really good in it as well. Um, heated front seats, ventilated seats. It has the sports chrono package, um, the Bose uh, sound system, and the the three spoke sport um, steering wheel, which I love. Yeah, it's got the right wheel, that's for sure, and the paddles, yeah. uh, the paddles as well. And it looks like the seat backs are full leather as well. It looks like it's uh, it's full leather interior, isn't it? It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Some of the exclusive options um, were the sun visors in leather. Um, the center console in leather, um, the Porsche crest on the headrests, and the gate surround in leather on the PDK shifter. So really specced uh, to the nines, I think. They did a really yeah. good job. Um, it, it was a beautiful optioned car. And nice and very low miles as well. So because you got it as CPO and you bought it from a Porsche, uh, the Porsche dealer in your area, you didn't have to get a PPI, right? Because they, they're going to warrant everything and guarantee everything, or you still get an, a PPI, uh, sorry, a PPI from someone independent. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a number of schools of thoughts around that. Um, you'll talk to people that say, Hey, you know, uh, a Porsche dealership is in it just to make money. You're best off also getting an ind- independent PPI. Um, I didn't do that um, because I was able to, you know, see and drive the car on a, on a couple of occasions actually. Um, and I kind of knew the shape that it was in. Um, so I didn't personally didn't feel like I needed to go through with that independent PPI, but yeah, I mean, you, you kind of read the CPO report and it's, it's a pretty lengthy document of everything that kind of checks out. And then also, you know, what they did. So on my car, they, you know, changed the oil, did the plugs, you know, put new tires on. So I felt like I, I didn't need to do that personally. Um, but but the car yeah. had a very well documented service history, right? You you said that before. It was it did, and only yeah. two owners before you, or one owner before you. Uh, one owner, yeah. And, and for maybe for the listeners that had um, when I purchased it, it had twelve thousand four hundred miles, so really low miles. Which again, I think you know that's what I wanted. Some will say, you know that that's maybe a negative against the car, and and it still has some bugs to work out. But for me, that's what I was looking for, and um, so it made sense. I don't think it's a negative, not with the 997.2. Uh, you know what I mean? I know people say that about the 996 and they say it about the 997.1 that, you know, it should have more miles on it, especially the 996, just so that the IMS issues are worked out or, you know, you're not going to have that issue. I think with the 997.2, obviously they're very reliable. I don't know of any major, there's no major problems with the point two, is there? No major recalls or anything that happened to that model? That generation? No, um, you know, some people say that the high pressure 
high pressure fuel pump, um, you know, we'll go out at some point, but okay. r- really other than that, no, no known issues to date. Right. Right. So let's just go back. Let's just go back to the beginning. So it makes sense why you bought a Cabriolet. You know what I mean? It really does because yeah. of the Targa and, and, and the, um, the Cabriolet from your uncles and the Targa from the friend at school. Tell us what happened with the friend of school because we didn't get into that story and we're still in the background part here even though we jumped forward. So you knew this girl at school. Her father had a Targa. Um, how did that influence your decision with the Cabriolet? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was just, it was just another example of, you know, growing up and in my life that, um, you know, that, that was just so unique and, you know, Targas are slightly different than the Cabriolets as probably many of your listeners know, but still just, uh, adds that additional dimension to driving around in that car. And, um, you know, I had, I had a couple opportunities to go in the car with him, um, when I was younger and, um, so just, you know, it, it kind of solidified in my mind what a sports car was and, um, you know, to, to drop the, the top down on a warm day or even on a cold day now with the heated seats just is there's nothing like it. So um, I, I think for me, my mind was was probably made up whether I knew it or not, you know, early on before I was even real serious about getting a 911 on the Cabriolet. So as you said, this, this pretty girl at school you ended up marrying, she's now your wife. How was it when you went to the Porsche dealer? And I hope your wife was with you. I hope you're going to say your wife was with you when you picked up your new 911. Yeah, so um, yeah, that's an interesting story because uh, it, was, it was in February of this year. And so kind of COVID was, um, was just kind of a thing. And she was actually sick with the flu. And um, the, the, the salesman that we... Uh, that I was, you know, uh, working with again, the same guy that sold my father-in-law, his nine, six, four Targa, you know, 30 years ago, almost, um, you know, was an older gentleman. And, and there was some nervousness about, you know, COVID at the time, we still didn't know much about it. So, you know, she, she drove the car like a week before. And then the day that I went to pick it up, you know, I was signing all the paperwork and she stayed in the car and I, I actually ran the paperwork out to her, um, but then, you know, when I drove off, we wanted to get a picture in the dealership and, you know, she came in briefly so we could kind of snap some pictures for historical references. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a special day. Uh, luckily it wasn't snowing. It was sunny and clear. And, you know, um, so it was, it was a blast. And we immediately that day, you know, went up in the mountains up to Park City, you know, just doing some canyon cruising um, and real dream come true. So how did it feel in the canyons? Yeah. And that's, that's mainly where I drive. I mean, we, we live kind of on the East side of Salt Lake. So we have, you know, four or five just awesome canyons uh, at our disposal and, you know, I'll take it out after work or on the weekends. Uh, it's not my daily. So it's kind of more of a, you know, a couple times a week, get it out. Um, it's just, it's just so much fun. Even with the PDK, you put your foot down and just, you know, carving the canyons. It's, it's there. I've, I haven't experienced anything else. Um, it's just, it's just a real dream. Yeah, and the PDK is a, is a pretty good transmission in the 997.2 as well, from what I've read and what I've heard. It's actually a good transmission. Yeah, I, I think, you know, with, with the steering wheel and the ability to, to put it in kind of the manual mode, if you will, um, you know, that, that helps a little bit. But really, most of the time I'm just cruising, you know, put it in sports plus or, or sport mode in, you know, in automatic with the PDK. Um, it's, it's just, it's super quick. Um, just a ton of fun, you know, cruising on the freeway or, or doing Canyon runs, um, you know, whatever, 
whenever you're driving it and wherever you're driving it, it's just it's just a real pleasure. It's just so much fun. So the salesman that sold it to you, who sold your uncle, was it the same car? Oh, you no. Uh, no, it wasn't this. Uh, no, so the salesman that sold my car to me was the same one that sold my father-in-law his father-in-law's his car. Targa. So did he remember your father-in-law? Yeah, my father-in-law is a very hard person to to um, forget. He's, oh, really? he's from New York. He's a New York transplant <laughs> to Salt Lake City. Um, you know, has had this handlebar mustache for you know since he was twenty. So he's a hard person to forget. But yeah, absolutely. So um, we had that connection. It was it was fun to you know to kind of have that lineage, right? Um, thirty yeah. years, about thirty years removed. Um, you know, was able to sell another portion to the family. So your father-in-law still owns that car. So have you and your father-in-law been out for a drive? Have you switched cars and 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 gone out for a drive? Yeah, um, we haven't yet. The, his Targa is um, they they're snowbirds. So when it gets cold in Utah, they have a, a second home down in Scottsdale, Arizona. So that's where the Targa is. Oh, okay. Um, so they haven't been in the same place at the same time yet. All oh, right, right. Um, so now you've got the nine the nine eleven. You've got the nine nine seven point two Cabriolet. Um, what are the plan? Are you going to add to it? Is there anything else you need to do to do to the car? I mean, it sounds like it's pretty spec'd out. It, you, you don't really need to do that much, but is there anything else you'd like to add? Does it have the sports exhaust? I always ask this question. Does it have Porsche sports exhaust? It doesn't. That's, that is the one option that I wish that I wish it had. Okay. Um, so yeah, pretty immediately. Um, and, and the only mod that I did was I, I swapped out the, um, the side markers, that come in orange and okay. I swapped them over to the clear side markers, um, okay. which I think is the European spec, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Australia and Europe is the, is the, is the clear markers. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I'm not, I'm not mechanically inclined at all, but it was, it, it was something that I, you know, had fun doing. I mean, it was actually really simple. I just watched a couple of YouTube videos and was able to swap those out. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah. Sorry. What are the wheels on your car, Connor? What are, what are those ones yeah, called? So are they usually in two-tone? They're usually in two-tone. Or is that a nine? No, it looks like the 997.1 wheel that used to be in two-tone. Yeah, so, so those are the 19-inch Carrera Sport wheels. They're the standard wheel on the Carrera 4S or they're the optioned wheel? Uh, those, uh, those, I believe, are the optioned wheels. Looking at the build list... Um, there was a there was a incremental price of like eight hundred bucks for those for those specific wheels. So it might be an upgrade. Um, I'm not I'm not really sure. Okay, so you've changed the side markers out. Um, yeah, and and I'm when it comes to Porsche, uh, I'm I'm a bit of a purist. Um, I don't think I'm going to do much more to the car. Um, you know, listening to you know to your podcast and others, the one thing that I'm kind of considering, and I'm not there yet, but it would be to swap out the exhaust, um, you know, and yeah, I think, yeah. I think for your car, the 997.2, um, Sharkworks do a really good, um, exhaust for that. Don't they? It's just the bypass. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. There's, I think you're right. Um, you know, there's, there's quite a, a few options, um, you know, and then, and then, you know, Fister is probably the one that I've researched the most, I think just cause it, it seems to be a pretty clean kind of swap. Um, and also, you know, gives, um, gives a, a nice exhaust note, um, you know, going the, going the, the OEM PSE route, um, is really expensive. Um, that's something that I, that I am intrigued with, but I think the price is going to 
kind of win out on that one and I'll probably go with something else if if I do upgrade the exhaust. Yeah, to put the to put the Porsche OEM PSE into the car, and I looked into this briefly when I was thinking about when I was doing my exhaust on my nine nine seven point one, and it was it was expensive. Uh, the exhaust was expensive, and where I'm like where I was like where I'm located, the um the labor to do it was a lot of labor, and it was going to be a lot of money. So that's why I think Darren Fister actually does have a really good product. Uh, it works really well. Um, it sounds really good. And the main issue with me when I got the sports exhaust is I didn't want anything too loud. I didn't want it like Steve's GT3. I didn't want it this this crazy sound. Even though it sounds great inside the cabin in his car and it's not droning, it's, it's a loud exhaust and it's a different engine, so it sounds different. Um, and the benefit of the Fista, if you're worrying, is it is very it's very peaceful if you're not driving hard. Do you know what I mean? It it doesn't mm-hmm. really sound that much different to your stock 997 or 997.2. Um, it really is when you're on the canyons, when you're on the twisties. And you start going through the gears, and that's when you go, "Wow, I'm glad I did this." It really does, honestly, Connor. It makes—I I can never say this enough because it really does make <laughs> such a difference. You know what I mean? It's when you start it up in your garage, when you're reversing into your garage or, or driving out of your garage, even when the car's cold, and it's when you're on those twisty canyon roads that you really think this is a—this was money well spent. Um, and the thing is, it's an easy changeover. You know what I mean? If you don't return your cores, you can always change it back. You know, it's not like a like a big, a big deal. So it's not a major sort of uh, project. But I recommend yeah, I it. Think, yeah, you know, with with a cabriolet as well, I think that, um, you know, if I'm cruising with the top down and have the upgraded exhaust, I think that it would just add uh, that additional kind of, uh, again, additional dimension to the whole experience, right? Hearing, yeah. hearing that exhaust uh, and being that much closer to it, um, you know, with the top down cruising up the canyons for sure. You've, I know you listen to the podcast, as you said, but you know I'm a fan of cabriolets. I think cabriolets are on their way back. I mean, p- other people laugh at me at this, but I'm actually serious. I think cabs, cabriolets are, they've been overlooked. They've been overlooked by purists. They've been overlooked by, you know, a lot of people. And I think they're really coming back. And, you know, you t- telling your story today, uh, Justin, a few episodes, a couple of episodes ago in Australia with his 996. Uh, I have another gentleman who's a member on Patreon who's also just bought a, in Melbourne, he's bought a Carrera 4S, like yours, but white with black interior. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are, people are out there buying, you know, cabriolets. And I think your decision to get a PDK, and I think this is, you know, you, you say when you go on Renlist and you say something and they sort of, you know, they stamp you down and they, you know, you, you can't say a wrong thing on Renlist, otherwise you get in trouble. It's a bit like, you know, buying a PDK in a, in a Porsche or buying, a, you know, Tiptronic or whatever. I think people have to realize that you buy it for a reason. And the fact that you want your wife to drive it, and it was the same story as in um, Craig last, in Last Owner's Stories, well, the one, not the last one, but the one before, um, talking about how he bought the Tiptronic because he wanted his wife to drive the car and he liked the idea of the Tiptronic. Um, there's a reason for it, you know what I mean? And it makes sense. And sometimes the car is just not for you and there is nothing wrong with the PDK. The PDK is a great, great transmission. And a lot of research went into that transmission. Yeah, you know, um, that's a good point because this isn't, like I said, this isn't my daily. I think if if I were looking for something that I would daily, I probably would have gone with the coupe, you know, just to avoid, um, you know, driving a a soft top around day in and day out, exposed to the elements. Um, I mean, when I'm not driving, you know, my C4S, it's in the garage, it's typically covered. Um, I take really good care, you know, of, of it. So, 
Um, yeah, I think, I think for me, it just came down to, you know, how I was going to use it, the experience that I wanted, um, you know, and hopefully uh, it, it's not my last. So I always have the option in the future to, to maybe get a coupe and experience that over a cabriolet. So what, uh, first 911, what do you love about it? What is, what is the thing that comes into mind? The first thing that comes to mind when I say, what do you love about the 911? Yeah, now, now having owned one, um, I, I, love, I love the engineering of, of the car. I mean, you, you, it's unlike any other car that I've ever been in. Um, and I've been in, you know, some, some really nice cars in my, in my life, but it just is solidly built. Um, you know, that it's quality the second that you, that you sit into it, um, or, or that you, that you get in it, um, you know, and then, and then I love, I love just the, um, the dimensionality of that car, right? You can, you can run it, you can run it and go, uh, pick up groceries. Um, you can go pick up, um, you know, kids from school if you need to, but then also it, it just turns into this amazing, you know, sports car. If you want to, you know, throw it in uh, sport or sport plus mode and, you know, rip up, rip up the tarmac. So I think the versatility of the nine eleven um, is also just something that's really compelling and, and, and probably the thing that I love most about it. It's really understated. It doesn't turn a lot of heads, Yeah, but you know, and, and that's good because that's not something that I was looking for. Um, for me, it was just kind of a, you know, something personal that I wanted to buy um, for me and for, for my wife. And uh, that's kind of what it ended up being. But yeah, just, I think the engineering is, is uh, you know, is bar none when it comes to how these 911s are built and the, and the thought and, and, you know, engineering that went into them. Yeah, I agree. And they're not, and I've said this many times before, they're not really an expensive car to own. They're not that expensive. I mean, you know, relatively, they're not expensive to, to really own. You know what I mean? If you pick the right one, if it's well looked after, and if you keep, you know, you do regular services on it and all those sort of things. What I love about the 911, and I've mentioned this as well before, is that first drive that I had, Connor, and it's just the weight transfer. It's just when you're on those, those twisty roads, those canyon roads, and you feel that, you know, you feel that transfer of weight. Uh, whether it be a Carrera 2 or a Carrera 4, you still feel it. It's, it's that rare, the rear engine, like you said, the engineering, you know, it's, it's 50, how many years of history, 70 years, you know what I mean? There's so much history in that car, um, which makes it really, really special. And uh, that's what I love about the 911. Every time you get into it, and, you know, I've been part of my car for a long time, but, you know, when I get into it, it's just that, it's just straight away, you know, you drive it and you just think, wow, this is, this is really a great car. You know what I mean? And it can get better. You can buy better ones. You know what I mean? You've got, I've got the base career, as you know, but you can buy better ones. And it's just that, you know, that wanting that is always there. Yeah. I think, I think Porsche has done a really good job continuing the heritage of the model. And, um, you know, with, with each release, I guess, you know, it, it continues to get better and improve. And, um, you know, we can go back into the, the earliest model all the way up to the, the 992 and, um, you can see kind of the linear um, relationships across the models over many decades. And, and I think because of that, you know, we get to experience what you just described, right, is um, all the benefits um, of years and years of, of thought into this yeah. and passion as well into, into the 911. So the, the power of Porsche, it always makes you want something else. It always makes you want more. You know how I want a 912. In fact, I found a 911T now. I've actually got distracted again. I found a 911T for sale at European Collectibles in California. 
which is like sand beige as well. I've got this thing about sand beige classic 911s I don't, or 912s. They just keep popping up. This one is expensive though. It's 75,000 US dollars, which is wow. probably a little bit too expensive, but it's a beautiful, beautiful example. So what... I know you've just bought your car and you only bought it in January, right? Beginning of the year? Uh, February, yeah. February. So you've only had it for a short amount of time and you've had it during COVID, which has been a bit of a weird time for all of us. What would you buy next? Or what would you complement to the, the one you have now? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think, I think having the experience that I've had over the last eight months with the, the Carrera 4S, um, and feeling like I don't, I don't really need to, to um, graduate into something with more power. I mean, I love the idea of kind of a GT3, um, you know, or, or even like a turbo, but um, for me, you know, my car has enough power. I don't think I need anything else. Um, so really kind of as I, you know, and, and you're, you're mentioning, you know, all these, all these next cars that you're thinking about and uh, it's a slippery slope. It is. Uh, it, is. it definitely is. So yeah, for me, um, yeah, there's kind of this question in my family right now. Um, you know, my father-in-law is, is, is in his seventies. Um, the question is, you know, where, who's going to inherit the Targa? Um, and I, and I think I did myself maybe a slight disservice by buying the 997.2, uh, because in, you know, maybe in his mind, I already have a Porsche. I don't need, I don't need the Targa, but, um, regardless of what happens there, um, you know, I would want to look to get a 964, um, just, Again, a throwback to, you know, how I grew up around those 964s, um, you know, air-cooled is uh, very attractive uh, to me, yeah. um, but they're also very, very expensive. So, um, but again, if we're, if we're dreaming, you know, definitely keep the 997.2. My plan all along was to hold that, you know, maybe until it just doesn't work anymore, um, hopefully for many, many decades. Um, but yeah, I, I'd look to get like a 964. Um, yeah, the 964 is appealing, isn't it? I mean, I've, I'm a fan of it as well. Um, they say the 993 and, you know, Steve has owned both. He's owned a 964 Carrera four years ago and he owned a 993 Carrera. But they say the 964 is actually um, not as reliable, and I don't know how true this is, but not as reliable. It, ha it can have more issues than the 993. Um, to me, I was never a fan of the 964. Um, I've actually grown to love it. I always thought it was a bit ugly, those bumpers, when I first saw Steve's car way back, you know, in 2000. Um, but I think it's there's something really special about the 964 now. And they don't come up very often. I don't know how much they are in Utah. In Australia, the one I mentioned, the Oak Green one in Melbourne, which is still for sale, manual, tan, uh, 1990, I think it is, 1990 model. And that's uh, 150000 Australian dollars, so that's about a hundred and. 115,000 US roundabout. Yeah, um, you know, I, I keep my eye on the market a little bit. Um, you can pick, you can pick a pretty good example with with somewhat low kilometers on it for around 70 to 75,000 US. Yeah, so, see, that's good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, still that's, that's better, better than Australian. Better, prices. yeah, still a well, lot. What's interesting? Yeah, still a lot. Um, well, what's interesting, Michael, is. Um, you know, I, I picked up the car February 15th of this year. A couple weeks after that, um, I was actually um, at, a, at a business um, expo in Atlanta. And we had a partner that invited uh, the company that I work for to come uh, for a night at the Porsche Experience Center Fantastic. in Atlanta. And 
so you know we you know we were able to look at all the all the classic models that they have there but then they also um you know had all the 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 992s lined up and it was almost like an amusement ride where you could you could wait in line and then you you could go you know be a passenger in this car and they they take you around the track oh fantastic um, so so for me it was it was uh, it was a great experience because i had just you know purchased my 911 but uh, to, to be in a, in a more modern 992 Porsche and being on the track, it just was mind blowing. It was, it was probably one of the greatest experiences, uh, in a car that I've ever had because these guys just go full out, you know, around curves and, and on the skid pad. And just to see what a 911 can do, you know, when you're really, really pushing it, uh, was, was really, really compelling. So for me, you know, I guess, as we're talking about what, what I'd maybe look at in the future is yeah, probably like a a more modern, you know, 992, uh, because they're just amazing cars. Right. Uh, the performance right. is, is unparalleled. Yeah. And I think that that's a great experience to have because that's, I mean, I guess it's like when you go out on a racetrack and, and I haven't been in a, in a Porsche on a racetrack, but it's, it's seeing what the car is capable of, you know, seeing what a GT3 or a GT3 RS is capable of the, the way that we would never drive it, the way that we could ever, never really experience. And I think that's those sort of things that, uh, Porsche Experience Center are great that you actually get out there and you can experience it with, you know, better, not better drivers, but more experienced drivers. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, I, I would, I would probably never drive my car to that limit. Um, and I don't plan on tracking my car, but um, yeah, just, just to see what they're capable of and know that, you know, we, we have something similar sitting in our garages and um, you know, if we wanted to, we could go, we could go out and experience that same thing. But um, yeah, you know, the, the, the 991, the 992s are, are compelling. Um, my, my father-in-law, his best friend has a 9972 Turbo S. And uh, so he, he's kind of, I've, I've let him know if he's ever thinking about, you know, kind of selling that to at least, you know, call me up first and see if I'm interested. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but um, it's a beautiful car, and and that would be that would be fun to own. Sorry, um, what gener what generation was it, Connor? Nine nine two or nine nine one? Um, he he has a nine nine seven dot two Turbo S, so it's a nine nine seven. I I think that they only did the Turbo S um, in the nine nine two variant. So I think from what two thousand nine to two thousand twelve, I believe. Right. Um, and. Uh, and it's a cabriolet as well, um, ceramic brakes, which gives me a little heartburn um, just because of the expense of maintaining those when you need to swap them out. And, but, and also because they're so temperamental with weather, ceramic brakes, whether it be hot yeah. or cold and moisture, they really are quite a temperamental um, system. Even though they stop really hard when they stop, they're very, very temperamental. Um, but I think, you know, you're the same as me. You know, it's good to have a, an air-cooled. I think if I ever went to a 992, and I love the 992, I think what Porsche's done on the 992 is fantastic. I think the interior and, you know, and like I said, I, I keep going back to this turbo that I saw the Turbo S on Instagram this morning. And it looks fantastic, the inside. And this car is is got the truffle brown leather, you know, the proper club leather. leather. Uh, it's got wood on the back of the seats. Like this guy's gone, this car is like fully like old style, but it looks fantastic. Um, but that's the problem with new Porsches, you know, there's so many options. You know, you look back at the classic ones and there's so few options you could have got. But I think the perfect the perfect to the perfect garage for me is just a, you know, an experience, you know, a, an air-cooled experience, whether it be a 964, you know, I'm I'm keen on the 912. Um, something that's more of an experience, more that's a cruiser, more that sort of transports you to another time. 
Um, and then a more modern 911. I, I want to keep my 997 because I, I really like that car. If I could just keep it, I'll just keep it. I won't ever sell it um, and just buy something else. Um, so that's the plan for me. Um, what else? Yeah, um, I think I think just now that I'm, you know, it, it, it's obviously, you know, the 1st of November. Um, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm working, you know, on, on kind of the next steps. I'm going to put my car away for the winter. So it's all about, you know, the, the winterizing process. Um, they do salt the roads here uh, during the winter, and it's just oh, not right. something – you know, even though it is a 4S in a pinch, I guess I could take it out, but um, it's it's not, I have another car that I can drive. Um, so it's now, you know, um, just learning about, you know, owning a car over the winter and all the things I have to do. You know, yesterday I was, I was tinkering around with my, uh, with my battery tender. I've, I've never set one up before. So it was kind of figuring out how it's going to work. And, you know, so I'm just kind of in that mode right now. Yeah. For the listeners, that's how, um, that was the first conversation really that Connor and I had was about a battery tender tender. I think it was about the C-Tech one that I use. Did you end up buying a C-Tech or did you get something else? No, I did. I, I ended up getting the C-Tech. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's, it's a great one. And I, I did a lot of research on that. I was quite obsessive in getting the right one. Um, obviously that's the same, the C-Tech one that I was saying you MXS or whatever it's called. That's the same as the Porsche branded one. It's exactly the same. Um, obviously with battery tenders, you've got to get the right one for your battery, but for the 997, that is definitely the right one. And that battery tender has never, ever let me down. Like in Sydney, my car is on it, you know, my car is on it. And honestly, it has never let me down. It's a great, a great, uh, a great piece of, um, engineering that one. So it works really, really well. So what are you doing? So you store your car in your garage or you have to, you store it somewhere else. Um, are you putting it on, um, tire cushions or you're just going to pump the tires up or you're going to put it off the off the wheels what what's the process you're going to go through yeah so um what i kind of landed on after researching is um i bought i bought some tire pads um okay. so so I'll, I'll put it on those um i will inflate you know to max psi did you buy the really um, expensive tire pads no no i didn't and um you know i think i think <laughs> For me, it was, it was kind of like, do I do anything, you know, because there's so much, you know, conversation out there that, you know, modern tires don't really need pads. If you just pump them up, they'll be fine. And yeah, true. I think, yeah. So we'll see how it goes, but I just, I didn't want to go through the expense of, you know, spending, you know, what it costs to get, you know, kind of the proper ones. So these are just, um, you know, some thick pads, okay. um, you know, but, but it's also, you know, the oil change that needs to happen. Um, although you know, the oil change just happened in February, but you know, I'm, I'm up before I put it away, you know, the fuel stabilizer, I'm going to get it um, also detailed as well. Um, I typically do that myself, but um, I'm going to have kind of a professional come in and, you know, wax it. Do you need to put fuel stabilizer though? I mean, I've read different things about that. I always put, I, when I put my car in storage and usually it's only for three months at a time because of COVID it's longer because I've always go back to Australia. Um, I usually just fill the tank up to full and that's what the Porsche specialist told me in Australia. Um, and like you said, the tires are up to 50 PSI on my tires. Um, do you need a fuel stabilizer? Have you read much about that? I, ha I have read. Um, and, and some people say you don't, some people say you do. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to get a default to, <laughs> to putting it in this, this winter and see how it goes. Um, you know, and I, I don't think it'll hurt the fuel system if I do it. Um, yeah. but, but maybe in the years to come, I might realize that I don't necessarily need to do it. I mean, it's not expensive. I think you can get them 
off Amazon for like five bucks. So yeah, yeah true. Um, I think it's just, again, for me, it's just more peace of mind um, while it's sitting out there and, and it can get cold. I mean, it can get down, you know, into, you know, 10 degrees Fahrenheit here in the winter. So, um, so maybe that's, yeah, a, maybe that's a wise, wise decision because of the weather where you are, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it does get below freezing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the hard thing for me is, is, it's just going to have it be stored away for the winter. And even on those nice, you know, winter days where the roads are clear and there's no snow, you know, not being tempted to take it out because once, once you go through the winterizing process, at least what I've read is, you know, you really shouldn't, you know, take it out until you're ready to be driving it kind of constantly. Right. You're not going to be tempted with that career for us to go out, <laughs> huh? do some spin, yeah. try to spin it on the snow. You see, it's definitely gonna people, be, you see crazy people doing that with it. I wouldn't do it myself, but you see people doing it. Yeah. I mean, when, because I bought it in February, um, you know, I, I had it, you know, really kind of during the heart of the winter. And, and fortunately last winter, you know, we didn't have a lot of snow here in the Valley. So I was driving it, you know, weekly um, from like February on. So um, it, it will be a temptation, but I'm just going to tell myself to, to put it away um, and, and then bring it out probably in March or April, depending on the weather. March or April. So it's put away for four months, around about four months. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So quite a long period of time. Um, but you're right. The detailing is really important. Um, a good detail, a good wax, uh, and then under the cover. Um, obviously, you should always leave your windows down if, you, if it's possible, but I never do, but you're supposed to. Um, and then when you take the car out of storage as well, as you'd probably know, Connor, uh, the leather, you need to, um, you need to, to nourish the leather and to, and to clean the leather, which is what I always do when I get back to Sydney. I always make sure I do the leather. That's one of the first things I do after I get rid of the tank of fuel, after I get rid yeah. of the tank of fuel. Yeah, um, no, that's, that's good advice, Michael. And just, you know, one thing real quick is, uh, it's been interesting, you know, owning a 911 during COVID cause you know, you've talked about having a guy, um, or kind of a group to, you know, figure out all of these things as a new owner about, and, and really with COVID, you know, the, the group here hasn't really gotten together that much this year. So yeah. I've kind of been flying solo and just researching online. And, um, but yeah, you know, the more we can learn as a community, you know, on the right things to do and, and what not to do as well. I think, uh, that's, that's what this podcast is all about. Yeah. I have to say, I mean, you know, this podcast has been great. I mean, the owner stories I'm, I've been finding, and just to just to go off track a little bit, but the owner stories I've been finding really, really interesting um, because we're all very similar. We all have the same things we do, but we all just do them that little bit differently. You know what I mean? It's just the nuances that we're doing. And, you know, it's it's a great it, it's great for me because I, I get to talk to so many different people around the world, which I'm really, really enjoying, um, you know, and... And I guess because of COVID and because of the separation that everyone's having in the world and, and what's going on, it's a really good bonding thing. And it is like the Porsche community. It's like our, you know, our virtual cars and our Porsches and coffee sort of thing. It feels like that, uh, which, you know, which is great, which is really, really good. And it's great to have you on today. It's really good to hear your story. And I love the story about, you know, I really, you know, these stories are always fantastic. The story about, you know, your uncle and the story about your father-in-law, you know what I mean? And I think really, Connor, if you're going to buy another Porsche soon... If he's not going to leave it to you in his will, then you have to purchase that car from him, that target. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I think know, he'll, he'll to. listen to this. He'll listen to this podcast, <laughs> and hopefully, it'll give him a little bit of uh, motivation. But no, it's a uh, yeah. It's it's fun to continue on that heritage, and um, yeah, and hopefully one day we'll get the two cars together and we can go cruise. You know, that'd um, be a great thing know, to do. Great thing to 30 do. Thirty year, thirty years apart, uh, more or less between nice the two bonding models, thing yeah. to do with the father-in-law. <laughs> exactly. 
Hey, um, what about uh, where you live in, in in Utah in Salt Lake City? What are the where, what's your favorite drive, or what's your favorite drive in uh, where you live, or in the states that you want to take the car? Yeah, um, you know, I, I'm I'm really uh, interested in going to do Tell of the Dragon. Um, that's a long drive, you know, from where I live. I'm on the kind of more of the west part of the United States, and so you know, heading east. Um, I, I, you know, if I were to do that, I'd probably, you know, transport it out there. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we live in an, an amazing place here in Salt Lake. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, renowned ski resorts. So here locally, um, you know, there's, there's three canyons that I love cruising up. One is Emigration Canyon. And um, they just, they just resurfaced that whole canyon over the summer. And so, the tarmac is just in perfect condition right now. And it's just, it's just a blast to cruise up there. Um, and then there's two steeper canyons that, that go up to a, a point. So they're not, you know, they're not pass-throughs, but um, it's little Cottonwood Canyon and big Cottonwood Canyon. Okay. And um, they're just, you know, twisties and, and, you know, elevation and you can really, you know, put the, put the 911 through its paces going up those. I have to say the images and the videos I've seen of people in Utah and, and Utah in general looks like a, a very beautiful place. It really does look like beautiful country. Yeah, I've I've traveled around the world quite a bit, and um, there isn't a place that I'd rather live than than Salt Lake, at least for the moment. Okay, so Connor, you ski, right? I do. I grew up skiing. I mean, being so, here. Yeah. Are you going to put the skis on the nine eleven? <laughs> uh, no, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll <laughs> wait. I'll wait. I'll wait for like, uh, maybe, you know, maybe my wife will follow, you know, Steve's wife and buy like a Macan or something. And that would be, <laughs> that'd be more kind of my style, I guess. <laughs> you know, when I saw that you ski, I thought about, I keep saying this car at Porsche museum, the 996 Cabriolet with the hard top, it's got the surfboard on the roof, could have the skis on the roof. You just need the hard. I don't know if they did a hard top for the 997.2, but it's possible. It's possible. Yeah, you know, I, I I probably would need that, you know, to show up like at Deer Valley, which is which is kind of the the posh uh, ski resort around here, and I'd fit right in, you know, pulling up <laughs> the nine eleven, the skis on, so definitely yeah. a possibility. So tell me, uh, you know, Porsches and watches go hand in hand, and you mentioned to me you like watches as well. What do you have? Yeah, you have a Rolex, um, right? Yeah, so that's that's um, I have two Rolexes. So, you know, I, I fell in love again, kind of early on, you know, going window shopping, um, you know, kind of dreaming one day of owning, um, you know, Rolex, a Rolex or, or something really nice. So um, I originally bought a Breitling, uh, which I've since sold off years ago. Yeah. Um, but, but right now, um, back in 2014, I bought uh, a Submariner with a date and it's the, it, it was the ceramic sub. So it was yep. kind of the latest model. Nice. I'm actually wearing it yeah, right now. Yeah, it's a nice watch. Very nice watch. And then to complement that, uh, a few years after that, I bought um, a 36 millimeter Datejust on a Jubilee, which um, I just loved kind of the aesthetic of having that Jubilee uh, on kind of a dress watch, but dressing it down like, you know, sh in the summer with like shorts and, you know, a t-shirt wearing a, a Datejust. I think that yeah. to me was kind of the vision that I had for that watch. I've I've never been a big fan of the Datejust, but... I'm starting to look at it. I am actually starting to look at it. And I was listening to, I think it was the Houdinki podcast the other day with Jenny L. Um, I don't know whether it was a new one or an old one with Jenny L on it. And 
you know, I think they were talking about what's the Rolex that's the most underrated or something like that. And they say you should at least try on a Datejust. Go to Rolex, try a Datejust, try it on a Jubilee, whether it's 36 or the bigger size. Is it 40? They make it in 40 well as well, right? Or f- yeah, 41. 41, yeah. yeah. Whether it's 36 or 41, and they say once you put the Datejust on, you will want one. It's that sort of watch that you, you, you don't look at it, it's not in your vision, but you will want one. Yeah, my friends that have, um, you know, Daytonas and subs, anytime I have the, the, um, the date just on, they all drool over it. Um, just because it's, it's, again, you know, what we've talked about, it, it's a timeless piece, right? It hasn't really evolved, it is. you know, since, since it came out. Um, and I think, I think it's just a nice piece to have if, if you're going to go that route. And I'll actually say that the 36 wears more like a 40 millimeter. It, it's really surprising. It's, it, it's not too small. Yeah, it, it looks bigger than what it is. I have actually noticed that before on other people. Um, the Jubilee bracelet, though, um, for those who are not, don't know much about Rolex, just go to Rolex website and have a look. But the Jubilee bracelet um, is a really comfortable bracelet, and that's what's on my BLNR. Um, and I don't wear it as much as my as my as much as my Sea Dweller. I wear the Sea Dweller more. But the Jubilee bracelet is a very light bracelet. It's a very comfortable bracelet. Um, I keep getting people giving me comments, you know, left, right and center that's saying it's a very feminine bracelet. I don't think it's feminine. I think it's just traditional Rolex. It, it's, it's like 70s Rolex. It's like original. Um, and I think that's what's nice about it. Um, but good choice. Good choice in watches. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely fun, um, you know, to, again, always be thinking about what's next. And, um, you know, the, the, again, the engineering and, and the, the thought and the quality behind, you know, a nice timepiece is something that you can wear your whole life and then pass it down to the next generation. So it's, it's, you know, keeps me occupied and it's, it's always fun to, to be watch shopping as well. It's like a Porsche. (laughs) Very much so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. That's great. Um, anything else you want to mention before we go, Connor? No, really. Um, you know, I think, I think my story is, is a little bit unique. Um, I, I hope that people, um, you know, can, can take, something away at least, uh, maybe just the thought process and, um, you know, kind of, you know, make, make their own story. So we're all, we're all kind of in this together. And, um, I think it's just, it's just been a, a dream come true for me and appreciate the, the opportunity, Michael, to come on the podcast and talk about my 997.2. No, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been great. Um, you know, I've been wanting to have you on it for a while and it's just, um, fitting people in with my schedule as well, but I think you've got, you've got a great story and, you know, it's, it's about the nine. It's about the nine eleven you can afford. It's about the nine eleven that works with, with you, with your partner, with your wife. Um, it's the nine eleven that makes you happy, and I think you've bought the the perfect one for you at the stage you're at in your life. And I think you know, it just makes sense to me that you've bought a Cabriolet because of that history. You know, it kind of it takes you back. I think it really does, and I think that's that's part of the reason why. But another great story. Thank thank you, Connor, for being on today. It's been fantastic. Hey, thanks, Michael. All the best. Thank you. Um, thanks everyone for listening. This is the Porsche Cool Podcast. This is Owner Stories. Uh, that was Connor coming all the way from Salt Lake City in Utah. Uh, Connor's talking about his 997.2 Carrera Forest Cabriolet, which is beautiful. Um, hopefully Connor will put some pictures up on his Instagram so people can see it. Um, but I will put that in the um, thumbnail when it goes up onto YouTube. Anyway, thanks everyone. Uh, thanks for listening and bye for now. (laughs) 